Straight out of the heart of Texas, here come the students of conflict, helping you become a better Malifaux player and reach the top of the podium, one game at a time. Welcome to Students of Conflict. We are Clay and Doug tonight. Hello! Hello! <laughs> and we are trying to become better Malifaux players. We're leveling up ourselves and hopefully leveling others up as well. We do that by interviewing top third players from the Lone Star Conference that are playing in Malifaux tournaments across the U.S. We're not trying to capture the entire tournament journey here. We want to just take an in-depth look at a single game from each of our guests. What were the key decisions that they made before the game, during the game, and now looking back at the game, what were the things that they learned that they can pass on to others? Our basic format is to interview our guests all at once, just as soon as possible after the tournament, where it's all fresh in their minds and we can get some good crossflow between the guests. And then rather than publishing one long marathon podcast, we break it up, releasing one individual podcast per guest, helping people level up one game at a time. Today, we are speaking with Andre, Ryan, and Carlo. Hello. What up? What's up? Outcast for life, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> These guys came in third, fourth, and first at the March Malifaux Monthly Tournament held in Houston on 11 March. And we're going to be releasing our discussions with them as episodes 5A, 5B, and 5C. So we're going to go ahead and get this going with Andre. Hello. Woo! All right. We like starting out with a uh, icebreaker question. And so uh, for this month, uh, for this tournament series, we're going, who is your favorite master to play against? And why, Andre? Uh, I would have to say Leviticus. Uh, and the reasoning for that is, like, Leviticus is a very strong, like, defined uh, thing that he does with all the irreducible damage and kind of the, the splashback damage threat. Uh, and so he's very potent in his strength, but at the same time, he also has clearly defined weaknesses. Uh, like, if you can go after his totems, if you can reach game him, if you can stun him, those are all ways to kind of bring Leviticus's power down. Um, and so I think he ends up presenting a really engaging way to play the game because you have to play around his strengths and his weaknesses in order to actually take him down. And so I like I like being presented that question and being able to answer it or not defines whether or not you can beat Leviticus. And so I really like playing into him for that reason. No, that's fantastic. We got a couple outcast players. I am certain that we can set you up with some games. So. <laughs> I entirely <laughs> disagree with that. I, Carlo was exa example number one. <laughs> as far as disagree with the enjoyment of playing into Leviticus. Okay. Oh, yeah. Levy. No, you don't pick Von Schill 2 into Levy. <laughs> yeah. And that was fun. So, no, that's awesome, though. So cool. Thank you, Andre. So, which round are you going to be talking about this evening? Uh, so I'm going to be talking about game three that I had into Travis Rule because uh, he he beat me. And I think you can learn from your defeats a lot more than you can learn from your victories. And so I think there'll be a lot of good things to learn for people who are trying to level up their game uh, from this game in particular. Because, of course, whatever he did, it worked. So, no, that's awesome. And I got to say, thank you. It, it's not necessarily easy to talk about a loss always. And so so thank you for taking that on on behalf of our listeners and myself personally. really appreciate that. That is great. And it should also be noted that uh, Travis was the player who got second place, was not available to record with us tonight, which is why we got, you know, Ryan jumping in here for the first time. Sloppy seconds. <laughs> yep, which is going to be great. 
So cool. <laughs> so, alrighty. So, what was the biggest theme as you look back at the game, kind of just overall? There's a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about, but what's the big kind of overarching theme on this one? Uh, the theme is, and I am now that I'm saying this out loud, beginning to detect a trend into how to play into me. Uh, but the biggest theme was avoiding fighting, which you don't care to fight. Uh, and kill what you absolutely need to uh, to kill for points denial. Uh, yeah, because now that I say this out loud, I realize that most of the time, the best way to play into me is to just not fight me. And I'm wondering... All right, anyway, that's some self-exploration for another time. And how does that make you feel? I feel pretty good, honestly. I feel like a cave troll. Tell us about your mother. She raised a fighter. I, I felt like therapy for a moment there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Doug's got you beat a little bit. Yeah. on what on the beard and the cave troll persona oh true 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 yeah yeah as far as the static <laughs> but his beard I, is I very fluffy today if his if his i i'm lucky i get to see everybody right now and if his lights were as dark as andre's lights i think i think it would set the, that mood a little bit better <laughs> so, this is this is fantastic in this intensely visual medium that we have of, of mm -hmm. podcasting. I love the fact that we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about uh, the beards. But yes, you do have a little bit of cave troll action going on. Yeah, <laughs> so, for sure. uh, but beyond that, there's the cave troll of just like, yeah, you need to avoid the cave troll. Is that is that is that where that comment originally right, came from? Yeah, like for, to a certain extent, like the idea is that you don't post up for a fight with a cave troll. And so I think being able to manage how that fight goes. I, I don't know. I like, I have like a vision of like dark souls, Elden ring vibes in my head where it's like, you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. just step up and play to his game. Like you gotta, you gotta make sure that things miss and that, you know, the damage isn't going where it's supposed to. Cause I've been saying that the last couple that I've been on and this one, he executed on it well enough that it worked, uh, which is why I think it'll be good because the, the, the last couple of times that I've been on, it was when like, well, he got, he got destroyed slightly less than he could have because he tried to, but like now we have like a the guy took the dub because he played this correctly. Um, and so that's why I'm real excited to talk about this one. That's super. And we are excited to hear about it, too. So. All right. So kind of the your thought processes before the tournament, we'd like to talk about that a little bit. Uh, uh, what faction did you declare? Oh, I mean, you declared Neverborn, but but why? What's your background there? Welcome home. Yeah, it, it does feel good and bad all at the same time. Uh, so basically, I wanted to put Nakima back on the table. Uh, I have my boy Austin Rook and he does a fantastic paint job and I commissioned a plastic Nakima from him because I had broken my metal Nakimas. Apparently we don't travel well. And so I was like, I'm really tired of breaking my stuff. I want like a normal Nakima, but if I was going to get it all like commissioned painted up, then I'm like, all right, I need, I need to put her on the table. Like I, I'm, I don't pay for shelf space. Like that's, that's uh, not my jam. So I was like, I have to bring Nakima back. You know, I miss the like the all positioning aggressive play style that she brings. And so that was why I chose Neverborn, because uh, I just wanted to mainline Nakima the whole time. And so that's what I was here for. A little bit of a palate cleanser after your uh, Damien exactly. Crusade. Was that the yeah. idea? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get back to my roots. You know, don't just like ride the power gaming all the way to the finish. Like feel like I earned it, whatever I got. Uh, and so, yeah, it feels good to put the God Empress back on the table. Okay, so that's excellent. So, um, and I know that you were going back and forth on maybe feeling like Nekima couldn't handle the fight herself in a in a madness of Malifaux world, uh, and needed needed a gal pal. Uh, can you talk through your your thought process on that a little bit? <laughs> sure. Okay. So, 
Nakima by herself is like a scary fighter, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that she can't deal with just by herself because a lot of the new crews these days have a lot of card manipulation or a lot of just like defensive tech that she struggles to beat through without help. Uh, and at the same time, there are also a lot of crews that can get really big, scary beaters uh, to kind of back her up uh, off of their back line. Um, like she doesn't want to dive past a PK, a peacekeeper in order to go clean up healers or whatever because uh, that dude will rock her world if if she has to let him um so with that in mind uh the places like the keyword itself isn't good enough to like hold them back while she goes to do her thing so my solution was to bring one of two masters either uh zoraida or pandora to each of them two for this tournament uh, and for the game we're talking about i brought zoraida to and essentially the key takeaway for zoraida 2 is that she brings a lot of card control um, because I'm able to uh, use off the path to scoot Nakima up the board while also cycling cards for better cards. And then lost knowledge, in addition to drawing cards, is huge because it lets me dictate what the player's next activation is, which on turn one, I'll say, oh, that's a PK? Yeah, he can go now in his deployment zone. That'll be fine by me. And then at the same time, for the later turns, if I'm like, I really need to get some stunned out with bumps and boils or whatever, um, or cycle some cards so I have a better hand, I can get that out of the way and then lost knowledge to say, oh, uh, and yeah, your mech attendant can go right now. That's fine. And so that kind of activation control and card control is a really big value for Nakima because that gives her the card control she needs and the board positioning she needs because Zoraida can regularly push Nakima like eight or nine inches up the board without activating. And giving her that extra AP to take a swing early in the turn uh, is big so that that's why i chose her as my support piece for the god empress awesome no that's great well it, it does go along with a, a theme that we've brought up several other times is that uh walking is for peasants correct yeah yeah, yeah. i there is there's like a, a, a tidbit of wisdom among the Malfo community whereas uh he who walks most loses and i generally agree with that because uh, positioning is important, but like spending AP to do it is always a feels bad. So like anytime you can take an action and save someone else AP, because every AP saved on Nakima is another stat seven three five six that gets to hit the table, uh, with blade rushing and all the other stuff that comes along with that. So, so what you're saying is, if all else fails, hit it with a stick. Oh yeah, no <laughs> yeah. violence. Violence <laughs> is 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 uh, not the not the solution. It's the question. The answer is yes, and it's like. <laughs> once you can put well, more wait. swings onto the table earlier it it, it it works pretty well like she can't kill everything but it, it's nice to get stuck in early yeah it works even better if that uh that stick you're hitting them with is sharp and made of metal yes <laughs> yeah to piggyback on that really quickly though is you know that that phrase of ap whenever i'm teaching anybody any anything for malifo i just tell them it's like you've got five turns your average has two ap each you've got 10 choices like you don't want to spend it too much on inefficient things so like anything you can you 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 give them that movement efficiency it's like one of the best things to do if it's a bonus that gives you a push or anything it's probably one of the most efficient choices to make absolutely agree yeah and the, the mobility and the card cycling along with it made Zoretta an easy choice for support master i've actually been doing some dancing on the dark side with bayou uh because Zoretta. so with nakima i have no swamp fiends uh, so her bonus action is wasted, but in Bayou, if you take Zip 2 as your leader, I mean, it could be Zip 1, but I like Zip 2 better. Really? Then you can hi you can hire the first mate, uh, and then she has someone to hand out the Swamp Juice to, 
uh, and that is awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, defense, of course. Defense willpower six, move seven, stat seven, attack. Like, that guy is scary once he gets that stuff going. Uh, but yes, anyway. And, and I am always up for making every episode a Bayou episode. You, you all know I am. <laughs> but I'd like to I'd like to close parentheses on that. Sure. And, uh, and so we already kind of started talking about the crew, uh, which is great. So uh, for this particular pool, could you talk us through the pool that you're facing and why you chose? I mean, and you tend to one trick. Um, mm-hmm. But if you could talk us through your crew and do, do you one trick the crew for this entire thing or just the, the master? Um, and yeah, can you just talk us through your crew decisions, please? Yeah. Uh, so I, for the most part, one trick to the crew. So the crew that I took for this round was Nakima with Inhuman Reflexes because it's, of course, staple to her card. Then you've got the, the Toad, the Blood Hunter. I took Zoraida Swamp Hag with Ancient Pact because if she blacks any of her card efficiency actions, that's the worst. Uh, then I took a, a Mature with also Ancient Pact because card draw and uh, continuing to avoid the black is great. And then obviously that combines to have a very strong. Uh, position for initiative. Uh, and then I took two Wicked Dolls and a Black Blood Shaman with six stones left over. Uh, and what this crew lets me do is kind of front load my damage uh, because the Shaman uh, does his usual shenaniganry of handing out focus to the Mature and to Nakima uh, with the Ancient Ritual because you can drop the corpse with the Blood Hunter and then uh, if you have a Tome 5 or higher in hand, you can give Nakima a second focus so she's juiced and ready to go. Um, and then at the same time, uh, he also serves as a nice backup scheme runner. So at that point, you've got a focus on a mature, two focus on Nakima, and then Zoraida there to take her turn as you see fit. And the Wicked Dolls are there to do all of the boring scheme running stuff. Because uh, for three stones, they are incomparable scheme runners. Uh, creep along, just like we talked about earlier, having to blow actual AP to walk is bad. Uh, but having a bonus action that lets you walk on a three stone model that is significant uh, is just really good value. Um, their only real downside is that they are squishy. So I was, I was going to say that, that like they are really squishy and this was the cursed objects round, right? No, this was the, uh, carve path round. Oh, you, oh this is your, oh, okay. So then now yeah, they're perfect. Never mind. I thought this was the yeah. cursed object one. So you did round although three, right? I, uh, I ran two wicked dolls, although I did also run the wicked dolls in the cursed objects round. But, uh, with that being the case, yeah, for round three, they are perfect for cursed objects because the the creep along, once you have a model in front of them to make it work, they can kick the can, creep along, kick the can, and that is already across the center line if you've positioned your token correctly. Now, this was on Casino C table, which all of the tables that involve Casino terrain are absolute nightmares for Carver Path. There's just so much blocking terrain. But there were a couple of lanes that I could find to like kick walk or to kick bonus kick across the center line to make it work. But it was definitely it, it took some doing. Um, yeah, I, I will interject here that uh, for listeners that uh, in the show notes, we've got a link actually to the, the map packet that, uh, that Doug uses at our tournaments and uh, check out this uh, Please, please check out this map. It is a little, and just try to imagine running a Carva Path down it. As and, cool as uh, it is, it is it's not fun for Carva Path. <laughs> oh, man. It, is, it, it looks cool, but it is tough. It is a challenge. It is, it is a fantastic challenge for the players. So worth, I like worth it. checking into that. Uh, incorporeal. But Carva Path, um, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Got to play the conditions, man. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So for the for the crew list, um, we didn't talk about the pros and cons of Nikima versus uh, Nikima Two. Um, could you talk about that? Did you, did you even entertain as you were going? Like I'm going back to Nikima. Did you even look at Nikima Two? Not necessarily for this pool, but just kind of in general. 
Uh, I thought about it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, in my eyes, Nakima one is real Nakima. Like Sword okay. Maiden Nakima is the best Nakima for me. And because I have tried Broodmother a couple of different times. And every time I put it on the table, I'm just like, man, there's a really big attack that's missing here that I really feel like could have pushed my game plan a lot further. I, and other people have great success with Broodmother, and I'm happy for them. I'm not saying they're wrong. But uh, for what I like to do in a game, for my play style, Nakima 1 serves that better. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't really consider her. It's kind of like the more cowbell thing. Yeah. More great yeah. I agree. Yeah. Is it because... <laughs> Is it because of the charge through? Because like, can't you like make a uh, mature with uh, Nakima two pretty quickly? You can. I think the key difference between Nakima and a mature is uh, the moderate. So going from moderate four to moderate five is just yeah. a big deal. And then on it top of that, uh, the frenzied charge taking full advantage of blade rush on inhuman mm -hmm. reflexes. Oh yeah, that is so much extra damage that I just don't have to think about because there's so many times where you hit like a hard to kill model and it's like, oh damn, I'm going to take another attack. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm just going to charge. And I'm going to hit something else. Yeah. Uh, and that is beautiful. Um, so that to me is why. Or you could just pulse your black blood. That works too, right? It does. But like you, at that point you have to risk being, so if I'm fighting a bunch of one inch reach models, uh, I have to um, actually risk getting engaged in order to make the black blood pulse work. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if I'm blade rushing, that is a confirmed damage because I can't tell you the number of times in my illustrious Nakima career where I'm like, ah, dude, I've got this on luck, black blood splash, and I just black joke. Black joker. You're like, <laughs> like, cool, I'm a clown. Um, where I could have just taken that next charge. Um, and so, and then on top of that, because positioning is so important in Nakima, threatening that one inch reach never feels super good and you you know you, you, it never ceases to amaze me every time you have one of those epic black jokers and you can in your head hear wah, 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 you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh god and actually that happened this game as well there was there was a, a critical moment where i was going to kill his lone swordsman and it just like black the damage followed by him reading the next defense i'm like oh Ooh. no two wasted master ap love it so you got oh. one attack out of nakima yeah that yeah on round <laughs> two which you know it's kind of critical but such is life like it it wasn't i don't think it was necessarily the game defining moment but it was definitely big but yeah so that's why i uh don't favor broodmother i definitely prefer sword maiden where i can play her okay no thanks for taking us all through that so cool um, looking at the pool, so we already talked that it was standard and carve a path. Uh, scheme mm -hmm. pool, we had breakthrough, assassinate, catch and release, spread them out, and secret meetup. And uh, so, so I'm thinking assassinate maybe, but but what else? What, <laughs> what did you end up taking and, and why? Uh, I ended up taking assassinate, which was actually a terrible, stupid mistake. Okay. So he's playing Masaki, and let's just go ahead and run through his list real quick. It was Masaki, uh, no upgrades in this crew, by the way. Masaki, Shang, obviously, Yamaziko, Monaco Rei, Ototo, Fuhatsu, and the Lone Swordsman with nine stones. And so really the kicker here is, A, I immensely respect him because it's all either in keyword or versatiles, uh, but B, uh, and this, this baited me, and I'm going to talk about this later, but like this lineup looks fighty. It looks fighty. Oh, yeah. It, it, it had been too long since I played into my boy Travis because uh, he is laser focused on scoring and nothing else. So if he does not benefit by taking attacks, he will not use the action to do so. And so that that actually cost me quite a lot. Uh, but yeah, taking Assassinate Amasaki in general is considered 
not a great idea. And really the thing for me is that I baited myself into taking assassinate one, because I forgot how Travis plays the game. And two, because I was like, oh, dude, I have Zoraida. I can force Masaki to activate and fall out of space. This will be great, which it was good turn one, but I just never had the opportunity to make it feel good on any other turn. And that cost me so much because once he got the shadow markers down, I couldn't get her. Yeah. Since it is carve a path, did you use that to your advantage to get rid of the shadow markers to like kind of make her pop out at a certain place? Uh, the shadow markers were so far spread and Odato spent quality time generating more shadow markers. Once again, went back to the, yes, I have a stat six, three, four, five, but also I just have this action to generate shadow markers and that's more valuable to me. Uh, and so that's what he did. He just kept making shadow markers. And when he wasn't turning them into Katashiro, he was putting them in places <laughs> to ruin my back line. I will say, uh, and piggyback on your comment, um, Travis was like my sole opponent for about a year or so, and he was the one that taught me, you don't fight unless it helps you score. Like, the bloodlust is a distraction. The, you don't win by the number of models you kill. You win by scoring. And he would look at me with that disappointed, you know, senpai look, <laughs> and would just be like, why did you fight a Toto? And I'm like, man, he was in front of me. What else can I do? But really, it's about expanding on that creativity of like, how do I get out of this? It's not helping me. That is my number one comment for new players. Because every time somebody does this, I laugh inside. Like, the, like if they come from another game, if something comes and attacks you and hurts you real bad, it's like in everyone's nature and blood. Well, oh, you hit me. I'm going to hit you back. You know what I mean? And that is... In Malifaux, nine times out of ten, that's the worst thing you can do. And and that's my number one like tip to new players is look at the rest of the board and see where your actions are most valuable after you get hit in the face really hard. Like let's say by Nakima and you're still standing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing though. Like uh assassinate for me, like I took assassinate because I thought I could pull her out of space and I wanted to turn Nakima killing stuff into points. Uh, which in general isn't a terrible principle, but for someone who's so good at avoiding a stand-up fight like Masaki is, that would be probably the big mistake I made during scheme selection. But catch and release on a mature, which is my other scheme, scored two points for that. That was a great choice. Uh, matures don't die easy into Last Blossom. Uh, Fuhatsu can serve as a problem, but as long as you can take care or contain him, it works, and it did work out here, because matures are real beefy minions when all you have to do is stab them. Yeah. So knowing now that assassinate maybe wasn't the best choice, mm. what would you think about taking breakthrough, spread them out and secret meetup were the other choices? Breakthrough for sure. Okay. So I, my secondary masters right to has um, draw out secrets on off the path. Yeah. Which means that I could just be like, all right, cool. Core towards the end of the turn. Cause once, once the fighting really got started, or that is to say my attempt to try to fight him got started, the activation order didn't matter as much. And so at the at the end of my turn, I could just be like, all right, cool. Uh, I'm going to shove a model into your deployment zone and then hit the trigger to drop a marker. And that had been like an easy first point. And he had the time to go run his schemes, but he didn't have the time to also deny me my schemes and my strat. So I think I could have turned that into points much, much better. And if I had just done that, it would have been at least a 6-6 tie, as opposed to sitting there being frustrated that I can't go stab Misaki. 
And again, thank you so much for sharing this. These are like, it's so cool to hear somebody of your caliber going, oh man, I kind of blew it in scheme selection. Like, like, that's not a surprise when I say that, but it's very refreshing. So thank you again. Thank you for sharing. For sure. I've actually played against Travis. He played this exact same list and we were, we played the same strategies and schemes because I'd announced them before the uh, tournament. And yeah, I, it's you take a look at Misaki, and while she hits hard, she looks like she's going to die relatively easily. But if the, the player knows what they're doing with her, and he's got nine stones there, and Shane can heal her up from almost dead back to full without even blinking an eye. Yep. And when we were discussing the game afterwards, you did much better than I did. He, uh kicked my ass eight to three when we played that. Mm. And because I was just looking at it, it's like, yeah, you know, Castor can just murderize her. Yep. If he can hunt her down and if she doesn't murderize him first and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that nine stones plus Shang healing her up. It's like, he's not popping her out until he knows that there's no risk to her. And then he's popping her out and doing exactly what he wants to with her. To speak to Travis's positioning, the only damage Masaki took that game was the black blood splash when she stabbed my totem to death. That was it. <laughs> you got blood on my shoes. Yes, that was <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. End of the game, 11 health. You know, the, that's the, the game plan, too, is um, a lot of folks will look at somebody like Misaki and in a vacuum, just reading the card by itself. But it's about the interactions of like what you mentioned earlier, Shang. But the fact that you're going to have a Toto who's built to take that stuff, distracting you. And, you know, that lesson of that type of crew is, you know, don't get lost in the bloodlust. Why did he throw a Toto right in front of you? Like you have to ask yourself that in the middle of it as opposed to i have to deal with this yeah exactly and i was going to say this uh as a as a just a like a blanket statement whenever i see misaki on the board i'm an outcast player so i know that neverborn struggle with this but i always take a gun that can snipe shang from existence because without shang that crew is a lot harder to play I agree, which is why I spent two turns unsuccessfully trying to kill Shang with a mature. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh. Which is like, oh, no. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, the, you know, the amount of effort and the amount of combat capability that a mature has, you know, the sheer number of soul, soul stones represented there going after mm. Shang, but that that's a good investment. You know, that's yes, a really is. good investment. If you, if you can remove Shang from a Misaki crew, they're not happy. Yeah. So, and this is uh, some great discussions about the the Masaki crew. And so I kind of want to shift into uh, talking about kind of what you saw once you saw, okay, it's Travis and it's, and it's Masaki. What, what have we got? Um, and I kind of like to start with, we got a question um, on Reddit. Uh, and so uh, let me read this out. Uh, this is from a Masaki player who's interested in your perspectives on, on what it's like to go up against uh, Masaki. Mm-hmm. Masaki last blossom is a glass cannon when playing his last, Blossom or any glass cannon keyword or crew, what are strategies to frustrate and make it difficult for my opponent to kill my models? What can I do as a last blossom or glass cannon player to consistently pressure my opponent the entire game, but not get destroyed by attrition? So at least specifically to this game, the pressure that he successfully applied was forcing me to go fight certain things to my disadvantage, which would be his hard had to be dealt with versatile hires. Uh, so he hired both Lone Swordsman and Fuhatsu. 
And if you leave both of those guys alone, you're going to take massive amounts of damage because the lone swordsman can just decide at the start of his turn to have to have rams for crit strike. And then he just goes to a three, five, six. And if he would like to either bet on killing you or just accept four damage, he can be like, and I'm going to get plus plus to hit damage on this uh, while I'm at it. If you're a non minion. And so like all that combines together to be really scary. And then Fuhatsu kind of the same deal, like a two, four, six with a plus flip built in on a gun range 12 still access to crit strike or sweeping strike like you can't you you just can't let that dude do as he pleases and so that you know it was it was unfortunately the, like the cat toy for me that i had to go after and chew on which left the rest of his crew in a much better position in terms of like how much heat they had to take and then because most of the cards centered on me trying to trying and failing to kill the lone swordsman and at least I think succeeding on killing Fuhatsu, it left me with no juice to go deal with the rest of his crew because I have a limited amount of resources to marshal. And once those are tapped, I can't also just go kill Monaco top decking because you don't attack Monaco top decking. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And and it goes back to that discussion we had about AP, the fact that he has Monaco. If he's with 10 Thunders and with the Misaki crew, he can almost guarantee that he's going to summon a a Karashiro. Yeah. And he gets those free attacks and it's a lot of free attacks and it's a lot of paper cuts and it's a lot of little annoying guys that block you and like they give him AP and they drain your AP. Mm -hmm. So uh, if the, if the player is good at doing that, they don't allow you to go across your game plan. You're playing to theirs, which is like a strength, I think of Misaki. Agreed. I also spent, I like, I think I killed two Katashiro that game and he still had, I think, two on the table by the end. Ugh. Uh, it was just a lot, a lot of Katashiro <laughs> coming out. And because I had to go send Nakima after Fuhatsu and the Swordsman, I did not, like I said, I just didn't have anything left to go kill the rest of it. Because I, I, the Mature uh, and I think Sarita were the people that killed the Katashiro. And it's just when I'm having to get down to that bottom part of the tank, it just it just was not enough. So I think the summoning really helps out. And then also it juices uh, her abandoned honor bonus action because uh, he just consistently shuffled great cards back into his deck. And like Masaki doesn't have a ton of card manipulation, but that is very potent action. And so I think to to answer the question of like, what do I do to not get destroyed by attrition while I apply pressure? I think oftentimes the the best pressure you can apply is you must answer these models right here that aren't really part of my game plan or you start taking casualties. So you ask them the question. Uh, there was a, a Clay had given me a compliment back when we had first played a game against each other where he said he after the game felt that I uh, he said it was from Kendo or it was like the presence at the end of a sword. Uh, where the idea is like, here here I am, you must answer me or you're going to have problems. And being able to bring that with Lone Swordsman and Fuhatsu forced my damage to go places it didn't need to go. And so I think that would be the best advice I can give is to try to come up with a, a question your opponent must answer instead of beating on your squishier models. That's actually a very potent thing that I was going to bring up in my game. It's like, you give them a distraction they can't ignore and you put it in a place they can't ignore and your your squishy is doing their thing because they can't pay attention to it. And mm -hmm. his models like a Toto are just like, deal with me. And, and you choose, do you deal with it? Are you efficient enough to do it? Or can you ignore it? And he's really good at like, you can't, it, it, it's impossible. Like you're going to have to deal with it. 
my number one answer, even if it's out of keyword, to bring against Misaki is Eric. And I'm sorry, Andre, that you don't have such an awesome, hey, everything that you want to do, you can't do. You can't place Misaki here. You can't place Kadashiro to get your free attack. You can't place a Toto. You can't place Torakage. You know what I mean? So having a model like Eric in the middle of the board really hinders his your opponent's decision making. And then they have to deal with Eric. And Last Blossom on normally has a tough time dealing with armor two and shielded and all of the tools that Eric brings to the table. Technically Neverborn does have access to something like that now. We do. Not that it's a great pick for with Nakima, because Barkus has that. Oh sure. Oh uh, yeah, but then you're bringing three masters in Andre's list. You're not allowed you can't. to but... yeah. <laughs> and, and Barkus doesn't have the juice with Nakima that Zoraida too does. Yeah. To yeah. speak to your point, Carlo, about placement effects, um, whenever I was testing out my Von Chill 2 list, I thought, hey, this might be the answer. I had a strong arm suit. Oh, wait, it's called it. Oh, yeah, Eric. exactly yeah, what yeah. you're talking about. And yeah. I put him right in the middle, and Travis just he, was he like, didn't have okay, fun. I know. I can, no, no, he handled it extremely well. Yeah, like it was, uh, I thought I had an answer, and he. Uh, he taught me a lot about how to think about stuff like that. It's like, you've, he thought of that answer before. Of course. Like, what can I do if my spacing is denied? And he, because it was, um, it was placing him in a certain way, he still managed to get right outside of that bubble and uh-huh. just demolish. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, which again is some great stuff for our, uh, uh, for our person asking, asking questions on, there on Reddit. So hopefully that helped. Cool. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, and if not, uh, please get back with us on Reddit. We appreciate that. Uh, that was uh, Sofanda underscore Cox. So thank you very much. Or, or just copy the uh, the list from uh, the show notes and, you know, give it a try. You're taking a look at that. He's going, you know, all in keyword or versatile, not going out of keyword with it. But it, it does feel very thematic to Misaki. But he's not bringing, you know, her ninjas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very different approach, but cool. And so it, it's worth trying, not to say netlist it, but try out the list that Travis ran there. I've played against it. It is very efficient with the way it uses its actions. It'll teach you to make good choices. Yeah, that's cool. So during the game, kind of an open discussion here on interesting lines of play that happened, uh, key decision points, whether it was on the board, key decision points, or... Uh, in your control hand, uh, or just in your mind, <laughs> what what was going on? And uh, please, please share. So I would say the the, the key decision points, uh, and we've touched on this quite a bit, but I think to reiterate it, uh, Masaki never got close to Nakima. Whichever part of the board Nakima was on, Masaki was not anywhere close, like 20 inches plus. And so like Nakima couldn't ever deal with what she was bringing. And then because of where I had to put my... Uh, Carver path markers to deal with this lovely map provided by Doug Bowen. Hey! My crew had to split into two halves, and so that was real bad for Nakima trying to stop Masaki from going after my, you know, three hit point can kickers. And so between denying the chance at assassinate and being able to pick whatever part of the board Nakima's not on and go kill everything on that part of the board, his idea to keep Nakima contained or occupied while killing my back line was, I think, the biggest line of play to learn from here. And then at the same time, I felt like I made some good decisions. I mean, obviously, I scored 6-5 on Travis, and he's a real good player. But like the 
like going after the totem or going after the katashiro like attacking otato is nearly pointless especially with a cash so big and you don't want to get him pissed off because frantic is real good too so like all that combines like don't don't bother attacking those guys so like he went up and engaged a mature and i shoved him aside and went and blew a focus killing katashiro and those are the kind of decisions you need to make to be able to deny points and put points on the board but i think if i had to talk about a key decision point that I had mentioned earlier was taking assassinate on Masaki. That was just, it was real dumb. So my issue is that I had a couple of games on Masaki recently uh, where I was like, oh, Masaki seems kind of like it could be my jam. And then I put her on the table and both games were into the clam pits and I got rocked hard. And so I had kind of like that combined with the fact that I hadn't played Travis and like at least a year i was like i know how masaki's gonna try to play but resistance is futile hmm. and then i was dead wrong because masaki her strength is not necessarily in the damage she does but where the damage she does goes and where her hit point total is not and that got played expertly by travis and i think that was on display both in my zero points for assassinate as well as my only three points for the strategy uh, and i think that was the difference makers where in the turn was he activating Masaki? About halfway through. So for the most part, Nakima tries to take advantage of activation control by killing unactivated models. Of course. Uh, so both both Nakima and the Matures tend to activate early um, because I'm trying to make it take it. Uh, because if I can get last activation by virtue of stabbing someone to give death, that is very, very good. So each time Nakima would go and then the Mature would go to try and clean something up. Once those two models went, she'd be like, cool, the table is now safe for me. Uh, I don't have to worry about them trying to get to Masaki. I can just drop the table, pick up a quick kill on my shaman or the wicked dolls, and then there's no threat really left to be worried about. And so I'm going to fall off the table by the time Nakima and the mature get to go again. The reason I ask is because I play against Masaki a lot. Shout out to Garrett from Dallas because he's like that was his first master and he plays it a lot. Shout out to Garrett. Mm -hmm. And from my experience, Masaki hates lures. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I know that you have access to lure a lot in Neverborn. And I don't know if you could have fit a lure in your list without compromising anything, but might be food for thought for the future. What's her willpower? It's willpower, right? Yeah. She's willpower seven and the shadow markers. The other issue. But you have stat seven lures in Neverborn. Yes. Yeah. On a defense four, seven health model. <laughs> Does it? What's the doppelgangers? Is it a six or seven? Uh, hers is a six, but she can mimic herself to go to seven. Uh, and Disguised is good tech, but that is an 8 health enforcer, and if Misaki doesn't like it, she doesn't have to. That's true, yeah. but uh, like all I'm saying is from my experience, after Misaki activates, like, just think about this, after Misaki had activated in that game, if you could have lured her, her movement towards whatever it was, you could have actually killed it with Nakima, possibly. And may might have been able to score that point. I'm just trying to throw a theory out there to see if like you like it or not. Like I said, the lords in our faction are just so utterly weak. Like, the one who's good is Wrath um, for his cost. Like, he is a henchman, so stone use keeps him on the table slightly longer. Uh, and bring it moves them an extra two inches, which is also nice. The threat of taking a melee attack at the end isn't great, but um, it does provide a lot of movement opportunity. The issue is, is that the ranges at which I needed that attack to work, he was beyond that. Like I said, I see. anytime Asaki hit the table, it was like 20 inches away yeah and that, that's why i was asking because I, I of course i don't have any context of the game because i don't think sure. this one was on stream right uh no uh, no okay. it's not yeah so you talked a little bit about your masaki versus clampets uh mm -hmm. fight and so was that 
I don't know that Clampets are, are particularly in the in the completely OP madness uh, uh, mm. list, but maybe is is that matchup? Is that your play style of Masaki versus Travis's play style of Masaki? Is that do you know what happened there? Uh, so to to Carlo's point, Masaki, if she is getting dragged around, isn't having a great time, uh, and so Clampets, and by Clampets, I mean Clampets two. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was one. Got it. No, okay. no, no, no. Yeah, so Clampets okay. 2 have a lot of steel people mechanics uh, between Ona Ogopogo having the the trigger where you just teleport 8 inches if you're in base contact with a tide marker into another tide marker and then Drawn to the Sea, which is basically down the wrong path but for the Clampets, uh, and a 3-4-6 damage track and every time I played into them, they brought Bryn for deck stacking. Like, it all combined together to be like, oh, I feel like I'll be safe here. I can take this kill on this gator he summoned. Cool. And it's like, all right, cool. I go. Uh, you're in nowhere near the part of the board you thought you were going to be. Uh, and take, like, two-thirds of your health bar right now. And so that, in and of itself, is a really strong kit in a Masaki. And then at the same time, because the, the Clampets, the primary mechanic that a lot of them have is they get plus flips to defense duels when they're in base contact with Tide Markers. and all of the henchmen in that crew, of which there are two, two, yeah, two, yes, the henchmen as well as uh, the snail guy, all have the ability to just like at the end of my activation, I drop a marker based contact, and that's not a choice, by the way, that just happens. So like a lot of like very brain dead defensive tech hits the table, and Masaki does not have the card control to have to cheat first every attack, and that's the issue, uh, because if you Flip, you know, you're both flipping off the top, they're getting two cards, you, you're you going to have to cheat to hit. Uh, whereas there's a lot more opportunity where if they're like, ah, I could cheat here, but I need to save this, they don't have to worry about it. They're just getting two cards off the top. Um, and so that kind of card pressure in a Masaki, like Abandoned Honor is great, but it's not super reliable. Um, and so when all that comes together, if she's just having to cheat every attack for her crew to try to kill stuff, she runs out of cards and then she has nothing to defend herself when the Clamets are like, please jump into my mouth now. Uh, and so when that pair of games hit me, I was like, just kidding. Uh, Misaki's trash. I'm never playing her. To then turn around at this tournament uh, and get clowned on by Misaki was a humbling experience. But I think I think a lot of what Nakima does, Misaki does well into. Like extended reach is real good tech mm-hmm. into Nakima. And, you know, unless I'm hiring models that are very, very much instant death me daddy models, uh, if I'm hiring lures, uh, because the Clampus themselves are like, an easy thing to keep on the table with Masaki as their aggressor, because uh, armor two she just doesn't deal with well. Uh, but Nakima, like my whole my whole backline is one shotable for Masaki, matchup being a lot better for him, and he played it better than I did as well. No, and that's cool, and thank you. And and for our listeners uh, that uh, <laughs> I mentioned at the top of the show that I, I I honestly don't try to turn every episode into a Bayou episode, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you. You should. You should. They need more love. <laughs> and uh, but hopefully, going back to like maybe Savannah Cox on on Reddit, maybe they'll appreciate uh, that that uh, tidbit in case they ever face uh, Clampets too. So, all right, show more love to Bayou. There you go. So, all right, uh, MVP model. Who was it and why? Uh, it's a right of two for sure. Um, of the things that I successfully accomplished this game, a lot of them. I mean, the Wicked Dolls did good, and a Shaman scored my third point for the strategy after the Dolls were stabbed to death brutally by Masaki. The The rest of it, though, was I only kept him to six points because Zoraida stood in the middle of my board because he, uh, he took breakthrough and spread them out. And so she spent 
nearly all game just casting lost knowledge um, from the middle of the board. Eating his ski markers? His ski markers and his shadow markers. Uh, there, okay. were, there was some lines of play I was able to close off early because I was like, okay, you don't have any shadow markers on this part of the board. You're going to have to go this way. And all of that was accomplished by Zoraida just spamming lost knowledge. Um, and so I think I denied at least one point for spread them out. And the uh, the other point was that I got to deny was one of the strategy points because Zoraida has Moth Witch and being able to discard a card to have herself take another action uh, is really sweet. Uh, so I got to like double walk into base contact with strategy marker last activation and kick it back off my deployment zone to deny another point. Uh, so for me, Zoraida 2 was for sure the MVP of the game. Awesome. You said that he took spread them out and breakthrough? Correct. So like, in my opinion, I don't think that's a good call like ever. I feel like there's too much AP to be like, to get the, what you need for that. You need six, seven, ten. You need ten scheme markers to pull off all four points from that. That's correct. So like, where do you stand on that being a good call to take those two schemes? It depends. If one of your eight cost henchmen can crap out a pair of TNless leapers every turn, then <laughs> it's pretty doable. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have that, then it's an issue. And that's the other thing. Like, so to come to come back to that point, the list that he took was deceptively schemey, and that was uh -huh. a big issue. But I mean, they have to scheme the second turn, right? Because they can't interact this turn that they're summoned. Correct. But it's markers, right? So like the shadow markers are for the spread them out right no it's all scheme markers no it's oh. all scheme markers you guys so shouldn't I, have I, me on this podcast by the way <laughs> <laughs> me personally me personally when when there's like two schemes that are like that require you to have three or more scheme markers i normally pick one or the other i try to stay away from picking both if i can that's generally good advice i would say however comma for someone like travis it's a lot more trivial for him to just be like oh i need to blow like 10 ap interacting instead of fighting cool i'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah you don't have to flip cards you know it exactly. just happens you, i can That's guarantee it's true. gonna happen yeah and to his credit he scored three out of four points on schemes that's i've never been able to do that props to travis <laughs> yeah well i will say this uh he was the one that gave me the adage of everyone's a scheme runner so like mm -hmm. uh except mm -hmm. i mean obviously significant but that's the the thing i i usually follow that same advice carlo because my crew isn't designed to do that but if you can the the thing about picking two schemes that just drop markers is you have one focus drop markers mm -hmm. that's i've even i've even i've even tried stuff like that with parker which is very schemey and still fail to get all four points. Well, half of his stuff drops enemy scheme markers. So I think that's probably the, the other half of but that. Then, but then he turns one of them at the end of his activation into friendly. Parker, too. Well, yeah, but like if you need 10 markers and you're going to convert one a turn. <laughs> exactly. And he's usually, well, I, I usually play Parker one and I'm like, there's no markers left. <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there exactly. hoovering them for cards and stones. Yeah. <laughs> well, and um, on the whole having to put down that sheer number of scheme marker things there. The Katashiro, they are some of the best models to say, hey, I'm just going to shit out a ton of scheme markers because they drop a scheme marker, blown by the wind, so they get to place anywhere within five. Well, that means they are automatically out of range of their other one. So it's scheme, blown by the wind, scheme, done, mm -hmm. your activation. And he does that constantly. And the fact that, yeah, they can't do it on the turn they're summoned. 
okay, they're going to, they're summoned, they're going to go for a walk and blown by the wind and get to where they need to be to drop that first one, drop that then next turn, drop that first one, blown by the wind, drop that second one. And to that end, like, because once again, you're like, man, 10 markers down, that is so much AP. But if you're just laser focused on scoring it, I can't, I can't do anything about it. That's very true. That was the big thing with uh, the Lone Swordsman, because you look at the Lone Swordsman and you're like, man, that is a very fighty kit, I'm afraid. And so when I, you know, when I Black Joker damage and a Red Joker defense on him, he was there alive with two health left. And I was like, oh, man, he could like hit Nakima with two of her own swords right now with plus flips to hit and damage. This is going to suck. And then he was like, bye, babe. I'm going to go creep along towards the front line. I have to go kick a can. And I was just like, what? That is the right call. And also such a letdown. And there's just so many things that I felt about that. It's so fun when you do that to folks that are like, oh, you're not going to hit me. It's like, why? I mean, that's not. That doesn't get points. Yeah. 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 Oh, that is just like, awesome. So, so that kind of that kind of shifts us, I think, into the after the game and looking back. And we've talked about some of these, but we, we like listeners will know that we like going through like kind of advice for a bottom third player and then on up. And, and so I'm guessing that the advice for a bottom third player is kind of like, don't bring a great sword to a scheme fight or, or what? <laughs> Uh, I would say that the thing that you got to take away is, and it's very top level strategic. And I, I've said it a few times, just generally on this podcast up to this point, but like, don't play my game. I want you to have to fight Nakima. Don't, don't do it. Um, and if so, if I have a big feeder who wants to fight, don't fight me where you can avoid it and stay focused on objectives. He could have like, he could have taken that time to try and like gun down Nakima with Fuhatsu and the Lone Swordsman. But like I said, he was just like, all right, my primo moment to go fighter and I'm just going to leave and then I'm just going to go run schemes. And so I think that for new players, because, you know, Malifaux is not Killifaux, score points, score points. And so once again, for a bottom third player, the takeaway from this game is score points. <laughs> no, that is fantastic. All right, middle third player. What kind of advice would you give to uh, to kind of that next level up? Yeah, yeah. Advice for that middle third. So I would say that the next level up is uh, being wary of what is actually going to score points for your opponent, uh, and we can look at this from both sides here. Uh, so for me, I could have spent more time just saying like, okay, Fuhatsu and the Lone Swordsman, they might go off, but I need to body Katashiro every round. Uh, and if I had done more of that, because like I said, I killed two, but I didn't kill four, and that was enough. Yeah. So kill the things that are actually going to score them points. And in that same extent, he avoided the fight and went after my Wicked Dolls, because my Wicked Dolls are what score me the points. So no matter what it cost him, but it didn't really cost him anything, go kill the Wicked Dolls. Because you look at the lineup of my list, you know, you've got Nakima, big and scary, mature, big and scary, Zoraida, very nice control suite. But if I'm hiring a pair of Wicked Dolls, I obviously intend to score with them. No one's like, I hear, you know, I brought these Wicked Dolls because you're going to die. Like, that's not a thing. They're they're there to score a point. They're AP on a table. Um, and so if you can look at a crew and decide, oh, that's where he's going to try and run all of his points. Like, you look at the scheme pool, and other than Assassinate, which I was mildly concerned about him running, I was like, for the most part, this is a scheme pool. He didn't hire any minions. He's not running catch and release. So for the most part, he's, he's going to go all in on trying to run scheme markers or schemes. Uh, and he did, and it worked uh, because I did not kill his Katashiro, which were his real point scores. Yeah, which is great. Um, so that's that's my that's my middle middle tier advice is that next level up is not only do you need to score points, you need to figure out how your opponent is trying to score those points and and, and kill those people. <laughs> that's great. So, and as you would expect, uh, how about some advice for our top third players? Uh, for you yourself, what do you wish you'd done differently? 
And we've talked about this some maybe, but uh, but if you could play it back, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Hammer it in here. Yeah. So the advice that I would give to myself if I had to go lean in on my own shoulder at the end of the, at the start of this game would be to adapt to your opponent's play style if it's not what you expect. When I looked at that list, right, because every single one of those can deal damage in some capacity or another. I mean, maybe not, not Monaco, the old lady, Yamaziko. Like, y- Yamaziko, maybe not. But for the most part, I'm looking at that lineup and I'm like, he's here to brawl. And so when he was like, just kidding, they all have like bonus move actions and I'm going to score points. If I had been able to be like, oh, dang, I should have thought of this uh, midway through the game and then been able to be like, all right, where's those scheme runners going? I think I could have done better in this game. But beyond that, being able to say, here is my fighty lineup, but I can adapt to whatever playstyle I need to in order to score points is also big. Because Lone Swordsman can deal damage, or he can run scheme. But I don't get to know as your opponent what your plan is until he starts doing that thing. Um, and so I think for top-level players, being able to build your crews in such a way that you don't necessarily broadcast what you're doing is a big deal. Because for me, when I when I put Wicked Dolls on that crew, Travis, that is screaming, please kill these models. These are going to oh, run yeah. my kick the cans, kill these models. But in his lineup, I can't be sure. Uh, and so I think that kind of the bluff and bravado at crew build for that was a big part of why I misplayed this game. Um, and I think that that's an interesting skill or an interesting option to have as a top tier player. No, that is fantastic. So, uh, all right. You got any plugs or parting thoughts? Just long may the God Empress reign, man. I got her back to podium. I'm happy with that. It took some jank, uh, and I still took an L, but I'm happy to be playing my home faction again. So that's that's all my parting thoughts. Welcome home. Oh, that is fantastic. So, All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Students of Conflict is brought to you by Top Dog Design. Check out topdogdesign.com for all of your Malifaux terrain needs. Top Dog Design, 3D printable designs to enhance your tabletop. Students of Conflict is not an official product of Weird Miniatures LLC. All intellectual property belonging to Weird Miniatures is used with permission. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of entities they represent. Any content provided by our guests and or hosts are their opinion and not intended to malign any group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Woo! Rocked. Hard.